Welcome to the State Support Team 11 podcast. I'm your host, Eric Neal. Today, we are joined by Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Dr. Muhammad is an Associate Professor of Literacy, Language, and Culture at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She has previously served as a middle school teacher, literacy specialist, school district administrator, and school board president. Dr. Muhammad's scholarship has appeared in leading educational journals and books. She has received numerous national awards she also works with teachers and young people across the United States and South Africa in best practices in equity, anti-racism, and culturally and historically responsive instruction. She is the author of the best-selling book, Cultivating Genius, an Equity Model for Culturally and Historically Responsive Literacy. Welcome, Dr. Muhammad. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Eric, for having me. Um, I hope you're doing well also. I am. Thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes when people ask, I don't know where to begin, it feels like a lot in a short time. But, you know, I started my career off, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, since I was accepted um, into this program in Illinois called Golden Apple Scholars where they take um, students in high school and help to train, educate, and prepare them to be teachers. So right away, you know, scholars get such a rich and in-depth level of pedagogy and how to teach in schools. Um, in my professional work, I've served as a classroom teacher teaching middle school, um, English language arts and social studies. I've also uh, worked in literacy as a literacy coach and specialist, and also in curriculum as a school district administrator over curriculum and instruction, um, where I got to um, design interventions and curriculum and pedagogies for teachers K, K through 12. Um, you know, and more recently, I served as now an associate professor of language, literacy, and culture and uh, work with undergraduates and who are preparing to be teachers and graduate students as well. Um, I work with teachers all over the country and different parts of the world on literacy instruction and culturally and historically responsive pedagogies and how to um, elevate the education of all children and uniquely those who have been underserved like black children across the system. So in addition to that, I write, I love to write. Um, I just finished writing a children's book. Um, I like to go wherever my pen takes me. And, but in addition, I write poetry and of course, you know, essays and academic pieces as well and curriculum. I write curriculum every week. <laughs> the love of writing, um, I, I've also, uh, enjoyed that in my life. And uh, it, it's nice to be able to have the freedom to be able to go the different directions you want to go. You know, most of the times we, we get set in our job and I, I write lots of you know, professional development opportunities or guidance for teams. Not necessarily exactly. as exciting as being able to pick up and do a children's book when you want to. <laughs> but you know what? Some of the PDs I write, they are very creative and I'm sure yours too, right? It feels like you're telling a story like you would in a children's mm -hmm. book, but in your PD and in your documents with teacher. I think those are all forms of creative writing. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, something that you said that, that was really interesting to me um, was the Golden Scholars. 
that you were talking about. So is this, this is a, a project where you're taking these students and, and kind of guiding and supporting them into the education field. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. The organization is called Golden Apple Scholars of Illinois. I was a scholar. I was a young scholar. So I was a part of this organization. They've been around for a long time. And um, what they do, they identify uh, students who are either, I think, juniors in high school or um, sophomores in college who want to be teachers. And for a long time, they would accept 100 scholars across the state who exemplify this love, this desire, this art, this craft for teaching. And what they would do with us is pull teachers, um, professors um, across the state and maybe across uh, other states as well. And each summer we would have in-depth courses and we would spend our summers in Chicago public schools teaching. Before we even entered our teacher ed programs, we were learning the pedagogy, the theory, models of education. We were learning to be brave and, and exude confidence in teaching. We had to um, take a song and rewrite the lyrics um, to be more that will capture how we feel felt about teaching. And we had to perform it in front of everybody. And, you know, I just remember doing that. And <laughs> I figured if I could do that, I could stand in front of children and teach. So, um, but in addition to that, like I said, we learned lesson planning curriculum and all these things so early on. It's a beautiful program and an excellent model for other states. I, I really love it because, you know, I find it in my work and, and in the state in general, you know, there, there's been this big recent push towards equity, but mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything more equitable than providing these opportunities for, for some people who might normally be left out of, of being able to get into the profession, but also that have a different perspective when they get where they're then, you know, I, I worked in um, inner city district in, in California before I came to Ohio. I, I worked in Columbus City Schools, the largest um, district in the state here, an urban district in Ohio. And the, a lot of times you look and you see that the teachers are not the same group uh, as some of the students that they teach. And I feel like, you know, as, as educators, most people work hard to make connections and do all of these things. But it's, yeah. it's not the same as, as having, you know, people from your community or from that understand you. I mean, a lot of times those people are shut out from these opportunities. Right. Absolutely. Um, and it, and it's access is a big part of equity, um, but in representation and but beyond that, it, it goes deeper, right? It goes, once, once people get into these spaces and get to see themselves represented in these genius ways, you know, how we cultivate their minds and their thinking and practice really matters, you know, because we could have these equitable spaces or these really great programs, but it can fall short once after they have that access, right? It could fall short on what we teach them and how. So yeah, it's just, um, 
lots of things to consider when thinking about, you know, equitable practices. So you you said you worked with higher ed and um, you know planning some of these what teacher preparation programs and and things like that. How how are we doing at getting the content that that all these young teachers need so that they're prepared to go out and serve some of these underserved communities? You know, I, I did school improvement efforts for some um, districts that, that fall under, you know, con in continuous improvement, differentiated accountability. And, and it seems like, you know, if you go out and get your teaching experience uh, at just a you know, traditional suburban school or, or something where you maybe you're not exposed to some of the, the needs and the challenges that you're going to face when you get to these, uh, these other districts, um, you know, it, how, how are, are we doing a better job with partnering with the higher ed um, organizations and universities to get what people need when they get into these schools? Because a lot of times I feel like we're, we're getting some of the same teacher preparation things that you got 20 years ago when I was in a teacher preparation yeah. thing or when Madeline Hunter was standing there teaching people 50 years ago. How are we working on that? Well, you know, I, I think it's a bit sporadic. I think, um, you know, some people are doing such advanced work and some are doing kind of like you said, the same thing. I think one thing we have to, I, you know, when I think about my own, I went through teacher preparation at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. And we had rotations in urban, I think rural, suburban, different educational contexts. And, you know, when I compared the suburban context to like the East St. Louis, the urban context that I was in, I realized that they may have had more resources in the suburban context, but they were just as underserved, the children. They were not teaching identity, culture, consciousness. That's doing a disservice. Mm -hmm. So first, you know, we have to dismantle, you know, these ideologies. Uh, we know that there are certain needs, but, you know, there are some schools that are doing really well in cultivating a child's sense of self and consciousness, but might struggle with academic success. And then there are some schools that do well with academic success, but that black child leaves not knowing who they are or whose they are. Right, I my early part of my personal education, like K-12, I had the first part. <laughs> well, I had a little bit of all of three of those things, like in Gary, Indiana, in an urban context. But when I moved to the suburbs, I I didn't have any culture, any identity, any social political consciousness where I was trying to play catch up in my learning that my high school didn't give me. So, you know, that's the first thing I think teacher education programs need to know who they are and what they, what kinds of ideologies they want to represent. What type of a future teacher do they want to cultivate? And then I believe that they have to do like um, a sweep of the, of the program of the syllabi to see how are we teaching consciousness, criticality, joy? Because we have a lot of teachers leave the profession very early because they lack joy. How are we teaching students, our undergraduate students or our pre-service teachers to leave and know how to develop curriculum? Some people don't even know how to write lesson plans. That's why they rely on this disconscious curriculum that schools give them. And then we have to make sure that our programs are not 
just have that one diversity class like I had. Mm -hmm. I had a one multicultural class. You may have had that too. I had that class. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's checked off, but how can all classes be multicultural, diverse, culturally responsive, instead of just having like that one class and you get everything you, to teach diverse learners or black and brown children in that class. You know, we have to ask what texts are children, are the students, excuse me, reading or not reading? Um, what theories are they learning, not learning? Um, what methods are they learning, not learning? Frameworks, models. And we want our pre-service programs to have diverse models, not just cognition, not just social cultural, not just criticality or critical theories, but all theories put together, feminism, like all of these theories can help to shape my teaching practice. And that's what we want students to leave. We want them to be ready and prepared to teach all sorts of diverse learners. Um, so I, I can argue that many teacher ed programs don't prepare to teach black and brown children well, but maybe not white children well, oh, because white children need, you know, criticality and joy and all these things. So, you know, it, it calls for a really a, a rethinking and as you named partnerships, you know, with schools instead of, you know, the traditional partnership is like, okay, Eric, you're at a school district. We're sending as the school, as the university, we're sending, you know, 150 pre-service teachers in your district. That's been the partnership. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. It has to be a reciprocal relationship where we're building and learning and advancing our thinking together, where we're helping, we're training mentor teachers. And, and it, you know, we're, we're creating programs and universities are giving schools more than just student teachers, but we're giving them frameworks. We're getting them pedagogies. We're giving them curriculum. That's the real goal. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent. It, it feels to me like we, you do need the, the nuts and bolts. I think those things, they are important and they'll always be important, but mm -hmm. it's more rather than taking, like you said, I took the multicultural education class at my yes. prep program. Uh, it's more what I'm imagining of a, a cultural competency perspective. It's, it's how to recognize uh, and be able to facilitate education with a diverse group of learners of all, of all different types, because I, I think we we teach people things about people, but we don't teach pre-service teachers how to, you know, have a, a welcoming classroom environment, how to know, like mm -hmm. identify what people's cultural needs are or how to have difficult conversations in a way that are safe and, and uplifting and nurturing to people and not go off the rails and cause more damage than not talking about them in the first place. You know, it's like those, there's a, there's a skill set to that, that I think, you know, is missing in a lot of times. And, you know, we, and we throw these, these new teachers to the wolves, right? It's like, all right, get out there and, and you know, do your best, but it, it's a tough job to begin with without giving them what they need to do that kind of work. Absolutely. And as you said, or alluded to, I, I think a, a lot of student teachers don't have opportunities to just reflect on themselves. <laughs> And who am I? Before I learn who my students are and why, I, you know, uh, what they need, what do I need? Um, who am I? And 
Um, how can I, um, what ideologies do I have and how have they been shaped and conditioned over time? Because those, um, what people call bias and things, that starts to come out in your practice if you don't uh, do that sort of therapeutic work to, of self-awareness. Right. And especially when, when you hear all the time, um, you know, because we think of when you have th these biases and, and, and there's, there's lots of uh, implicit and explicit <laughs> racism and things that are going on. Mm -hmm. But e even when people mean well, sometimes you'll see things like this where they say, well, I, I lowered down the, the rigor of what we were doing because, you know, I don't want them to feel bad or things like that, you know, not, not necessarily coming from a place of being negative, but that, that is doing damage by not having high expectations and putting things in place for all students to be able to learn. So mm -hmm. I, I think you're, I think you're right about, you know, how, how can we, how can we help people to know each other and know themselves mm -hmm. and to okay. be able to then create those, those equitable environments? Cause I don't think it's, it, it's not set up just to happen naturally. Right. <laughs> no, it's not. And there's a lot of things that I call for in my work that are not set up naturally. I mean, when you think about this idea of genius, genius isn't really set up to naturally happen because teachers don't have time in their schedules to just sit and plan like for real, like plan for genius and to adapt curriculum um, to be creative, like we talked about creativity in our writing, in our lesson plans, you know, um, there's a lot of things that teachers need where the system isn't really set up. I, I think teachers need, um, you know, what I call liberatory wellness and time to reflect and uh, take care of themselves. And a lot of that isn't really built into um, the school year. Yeah, and and even even the way we disproportionately identify people for say gifted education, you know, if if your district just uses Terra Nova and says that's it, you score this score, you're gifted, you score this score, and you're you're not gifted, it leaves out so many gifted people that maybe we're going to the foot in the door to begin with. Yeah, and what I'm doing is is training and preparing teachers to question Terra Nova, who wrote it, who didn't, what lenses and theoretical points, uh, viewpoints or theoretical lenses did they use to write the assessment? Uh, what's the history of gifted education? Um, you know, you, you, they'll find, and who did they serve? Who didn't they serve? What categories uh, compared the historical categories of gifted ed compared to now? And the categories are even different where they took off certain things <laughs> that more that allowed more children of color to get into they removed those categories so you know before you just test and screen and call students these labels like gifted no uh, intellectualize it historicize it know what you're doing don't just do it <laughs> just because somebody's been doing it that way before you no definitely and i'm a i'm a big proponent of uh multi-tiered systems of support if if done well and and equitably, um, because I, I believe we need these frameworks to help find out where everything goes. We have these complex systems that a lot of times uh, make it hard for people doing different work at different places to communicate. And you know, I, I'm a big proponent of systems and frameworks. Mm -hmm. That leads me to ask you about your book. 
cultivating genius and equity framework. How did you take those, those ideas of, of putting some structure to this to help people do this important work? You know, I gotta say it, it all came from the ancestors. Um, I'm merely a researcher who asked a lot of questions. Um, my, instead of having human living participants, my data was the archives um, and historical documents um, from the early 19th century, a little bit before that and a little bit after. And I, I would read about practices, about different writings from Black ancestors who have lived before. And I, I started to notice something beautiful happening. I would read about how they educated themselves and each other. And I said, that's what we should be doing in schools today. <laughs> that's so beautiful. Why aren't we doing this? How were they doing this in 1828? And we're not doing this now. And I would start to ask questions like, well, what did you do to advance your educational achievement? Uh, what, was, what, was, what were the goals you set out, your standards? And I started asking all these questions and I felt like again and again, they were answering back in their writings. And that's what writers do. It feels like we're reading and having conversations with authors, right? And um, from my research and my reading, I came to these pursuits that I write about in Cultivating Genius. Um, I noticed that they didn't call their learning goal standards. They called them pursuits. And pursuit was a word to talk about education again and again. And we talk about education as standards based. I mean, we hear that more than anything. I never saw that word being um, taught and talked about. And so they had these five pursuits, which I write about. I write about the first four more in depth. And in my next book, I'm really hitting on the fifth pursuit. But these pursuits are identity development as they were engaged in education and learning and teaching. They were cultivating a sense of self and learning about people who are different than them. I would find that they would read about Chinese fashion. I mean, Black people in the early 1800s in the United States, um, they weren't just in the pursuit of learning about their African, their Black identities, their collective identities, but they wanted to learn about different cultures maybe so that they knew the truth and justice behind different people so they wouldn't be inclined to hurt, to harm, to, to stereotype. They had the pursuit number two of skills. They wanted to learn proficiencies and things. They wanted to learn number three, intellectualism. They wanted to become smarter about new things, new people, new places, new concepts, new histories. And fourth, they wanted to know criticality. They wanted to be able to name, understand, question, interrogate the hurts, the harms, the oppression in the world and to make the world better. And then the fifth pursuit is joy. They wanted to be able to name, recognize, understand beauty. And that's a beautiful thing when you think about all the oppression and violence inflicted upon you know, folks during this time period, they still were very intentional about their joy. So I, you know, I call this, uh, this model culturally and historically responsive because it extends uh, CRE, culturally relevant teaching, but it, it connects this beautiful past of American history, of black history to the present. And through those five pursuits, um, it helps to cultivate a different type of child, a different type of teacher. 
And, you know, since teaching and researching, I have seen just higher achievement, more engagement, more excitement to teach. Um, students uh, sort of developing personally and not just academically, because I do work with some students. They do so well academically, but they don't know who they are. They have a low sense of self. They have high anxiety if they don't get an A or something like that. You know, I'm trying to teach the whole, whole child. Mm -hmm. Life is not just about A's. Life is about loving yourself and each other and your joy and learning new things that just gives you joy, not just because it's on the test. You know, I'm trying to teach students like there's more than just the test and graduation. There's life. Definitely. I, I do um, some work in the state with uh, Universal Design for Learning. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about engagement and creating expert learners. And everything you talked about is it really is good for the whole student and for all students. It's yeah. you know, a lot of people hear people talking about equity or different things and they they want to tune it out or think, well, this is only for this group of people. These are, are great practices for every educator, for every student to benefit mm -hmm. from. Every human. Yeah. I mean, I have seen the model, doctors thinking about the model in healthcare. Um, you know, like, do I see myself when I go into doctor's office? Do I feel nervous? Do I feel like I trust all that identity? Do I have healthcare literacies as skills? You know, can I read the consent forms and know what I'm reading or do I just sign, which brings in criticality? Do I just sign anything or do I know what's in my medicines? You know, criticality is also like not being passive, but just making sure you know what it is. Um, do I know about the intellectualism? Do I know the things my doctor tell, tells me, the language, the, the, um, the treatments, the problems that might be occurring with our health? And joy, do I have, you know, is there joy and beauty that's connected to the conversations we have with our doctors? Or does it just feel like, you know, rigid or disconnected? So, you know, I'm really seeing, I see business folks and arts folks and healthcare folks. I'm seeing like extensions of this work as well. That, that joy piece is so important. You know, um, educators have been, through the ringer in the last year and a half <laughs> with, with, you know, having to go remote and try and you know, stay connected with their students and families virtually and then bringing people back and worrying about their health and everything. And, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult enough job without, without joy, without that, that enjoyment of seeing people learn and, and grow and, and develop into, you know, young critical thinking human beings. It's, yeah, yeah, you have to have the joy. It's it's a major important part of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So tell us about you have a, a couple of professional development opportunities that you're partnering with us on here at State Support Team Eleven. Can you just give us a, a little preview of what people can look forward to if they sign up? Yeah, so it will capture the essence of cultivating genius and the model by engaging educators in. Um, and genius and joy um, by first really unpacking um, who we are and the genius that we come from. 
Um, I know when we think about history and the historical past, we think of some not so good things that have happened, but there was also triumphs and um, models of excellence. And so I'll bring educators into that and explain uh, the need for a change in schools, a need to go beyond skills-based instruction and to teach identity, intellect, criticality, and joy. And so it'll be uh, some historical significance um, leading to where we are today. Um, I'll introduce educators to the model that I just talked through, where they'll get to see some pre-K through 12 examples in mathematics and science and art, physical education, um, ELA, social studies. Um, that's important because a lot of people haven't seen enough examples of culturally responsiveness in math as an example or science or PE. Um, and then they'll learn how to take the model and you know implement it and practice with it. So it'll be a nice blend of history, theory, um, and practice in the practicality of teaching. Because if those, if anybody knows me, I like to leave my educators with something that they can use and pick up tomorrow. And also with resources that they can read and learn and view. And so one of the resources I'll leave them with is a video of me teaching um, children where they can see how this model looks in action and they can see the faces of the children, the responses of the children when curriculum and pedagogy is cultivated this way. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. So if people would like to know more about you and the, the work that you do and your book, where should they go? Um, so, um, like I said, I'm at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And so if anyone is ever, you know, studying graduate studies, I'm there to support them. And um, I'm also on social media. Now that the, when the book came out, they told me I need to get Twitter and all these things. I said, okay, I guess it's time. So um, you can find me at, at Goldie M, which is um, G-H-O-L-D-Y-M, the letter M. And I also have a Cultivating Genius um, page and a website of hillpedagogies.com. So um, it it's probably won't be hard through a Google search since there are not many names like mine. <laughs> so I don't think it'll be difficult to find me. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Muhammad. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Yes, thank you, Eric. That wraps up this episode of the State Support Team 11 podcast. If you'd like to know more about us and the work that we do here at SST11 or when Dr. Muhammad's professional development sessions are, go to our website. It's sst11.org. You can reach us uh, by phone at 614-753-4694 or hit us up on Twitter. We're at sstregion11. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm at eric.neal at esccio.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.